0: Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. And here's something else, Bob.
1: I have eight different bosses right now. I beg your pardon? Eight bosses. Eight? Eight, Bob.
0: So that means that when I make a mistake, I have eight different people coming by to tell me about it. Conversations about collaboration, episode 17. Brian Crop of Gartner Research joins me to talk about his research. We discuss employee incentives, flexibility, whether collaboration is a goal or just a means to an end, and the future of work. Let's get it on. Brian, where does this pod find you? Uh,
1: I am in my wonderful luxurious home office in Falls Church, Virginia.
0: Hmm. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, you've done a lot of really interesting research about collaboration and human resources and business processes, and I'm particularly intrigued about your holistic view of things. Uh, something tells me we're on the same page here. I'm of the opinion that you can't just throw technology at something and go, now we collaborate. Am I wrong? Uh, that is the worst thing you could possibly do. Uh You know, what we see from so many companies
1: that we talk to, it's like, well, I bought this latest insert technology platform X, and they're like, problem is solved. And then, you know, six months later, nine months later, like, problem exists. Let's buy new technology to make it happen. Um, So it, it is so much more than technology. It's about systems, it's about processes, it's about behaviors, it's about communication, it's about job design, it's about understanding what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, and without any of those sorts of things that we've thought through and worked on, uh, all you're going to do is waste a whole lot of money on some technology that's going to disappoint you sooner or later.
0: I would violently agree. Do you find when you talk to people that they have more success if it's a greenfield? In other words, they haven't tried name of collaboration tool before? Or is it better with a brownfield in as much as they've had some bad experiences and now they know what they're looking for in a way that they wouldn't have before?
1: You know, uh, most of the companies that we work with are going to be medium or large-sized companies, so think, you know, 5,000 employees and above sorts of things. And what I describe for most of them at this point on their kind of path to collaboration and enlightenment, that's not a greenfield or a brownfield. It's more of a scorched earth that they're trotting over at this point because they have tried all sorts of things. And, you know, you go back through the years around uh, Yammer or Chatter or Jive or like any of those types of platforms, and now they've moved on to the next set of things. Uh, And there are very uh, few companies that have made that technology purchase and then had results. Uh, And I think one of the biggest problems is they're not totally sure what they're solving for to begin Mm -hmm. with. Are they trying to create a more collaborative organization to solve uh, a particular type of business problem? Are they trying to collaborate more to better understand customer needs? Are they trying to collaborate more to drive efficiency? And unless you can say collaboration for what purpose odds are it's going to be a, a mess in terms of whatever you're, you're dealing with. And, you know, one of the things why I think this is so important is um, work has really changed to become more collaborative in general, but like our systems and processes, the way we measure performance, all that sort of stuff has not adjusted. And so did, did you give me a, a sense of why I think the space is so interesting? Um a couple years ago, we went back and looked at um, how effective are companies at actually uh, measuring who their best collaborators are through their performance management process. And we found something really, really interesting and really, really painful. Um, two-thirds of the employees who are the best collaborators at the organization, as rated by their peers and coworkers, do not get the best performance scores in the company. Interesting. And two-thirds of the people that get the best performance scores in the company are terrible collaborators. So one of the biggest problems that we've got, setting aside kind of technology systems, all that sort of stuff, is we don't have a way to actually figure out who our best collaborators are. We don't reward our best collaborators. We don't have systems to identify who they are or anything like that. And there's all of these root cause problems before we get to technology that we got to figure out how to solve. Uh, Before we get to the technology solutions. But so many companies, to your point, go to the technology solution without figuring out that other stuff beforehand in order to actually make collaboration work
0: agnostic of what technology platform you're using. I couldn't agree more. Um, I am of the opinion that collaboration isn't necessarily the end goal. Collaborate to do what? To write better copy, to design better code, to sell more widgets. Um, And to your point, you can be in my experience and some research I've done, you can be not that collaborative, but get results, right? You're abrasive. In fact, sometimes I'm I'm consulting projects back in the day. People said, you're a little bit rougher on the edge. I go, yeah, we don't really have time to be all nice about it because the project's two years overdue and $5 million over budget. So I'm sorry if I'm a little bit curt with you.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, there's a sense of um, uh, so many people confuse collaboration with coalescing around the lowest common denominator, Hmm. Right. And so collaboration, in a lot of ways, needs to be, uh, and it's okay if it's a little rough. It's okay if it's confrontational, Uh, because in a lot of ways, those moments of confrontation start to identify where collaboration could work more effectively, or there's a shared problem where people actually have competing objectives about how to solve that problem or what have you. And if you confuse collaboration with coalescence around the lowest common denominator, then what you find is the least objectionable thing. Do the thing that, that disappoints the fewest people rather than that really collaborative idea, that collaborative process, that solution that propels the business forward. Um, and, and you don't want to come out of a meeting being like, wow, we got together and we talked a bunch and we decided to do some really small incremental things that nobody's gonna to object to. Yay, we collaborated. Um, that that's that's a failure of a collaboration process. It's about identifying where in many ways there's conflict or where there's opportunity. And how do you manage often competing viewpoints, competing approaches, competing goals in ways that can come together to help you get to a better outcome overall? Uh, And that's one of the things as you're thinking through the process and approach where it's okay if it's dirty, it's okay if it's messy, it's okay if it's confrontational. And in fact, that might be what you have to have sometimes to help get to better outcomes.
0: Well, I don't see what's wrong with having a Confrontational discussion if it leads to a better outcome, but I think um, Bezos said Amazon is famous for this: disagree and commit.
1: Yeah, and, and be respectful, right? Because right. you can be, you can disagree and be respectful. You can be confrontational and be respectful. Um, and so, by no means, I'm saying like should go to meetings like punch somebody in the face, right? Like that's probably not effective collaboration either. But uh, if you're avoiding the difficult things, then then you're you're going to struggle progressing
0: things forward. Let's talk about an area to me that's adjacent to collaboration, particularly with these tools, automation. And I know that you've also written quite a bit about how automation changes the game as well. I would argue that, again, tell me if I'm crazy here, but if you've got these tools that really do work together, they can not just improve an existing business process, but let you simplify or redesign one and save Mm -hmm. time such that if I've got eight or 10 hours a day that I'm working, rather than six being administrative Two might be administrative, and the other six might be really creative and interesting and fun.
1: Yeah. You know, there's something that, that, to that point, um, that's kind of interesting that that we've had a chance to do. Um, And and a lot of the times we look at um, how technology affects an individual employee's ability to do their work and do their job. And that's super important. We should focus on that. There's lots of really interesting things to take apart there. Um, What we don't do often enough, though, is look at how technology impacts the role of a manager. And so, if you look at what a manager does historically, a lot of it was administrative and processing, and like approving expense reports, setting up uh, 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 schedules for employees, doing stuff like that, right? And those are all repeatable tasks that can be automated. They've got a yes or no, right or wrong answer, and you look at that. So, you look at a manager's task, you look at where the HR tech community is going, and at the extreme, if you play it all out and say all of that technology ends up working really well... Across the next four or five years, about 70% of what a typical manager spends their time on has the potential to be automated. right? Uh, so let's say it's just 30 or 40% of what that looks like. A lot of what they have done is going to go away. And one of the things that that means is that the job of your managers in enabling a more collaborative organization changes as well. It goes from, hey, manage the system and process to collaborate. To becoming much more about a connector between employees and identifying those, those places where collaboration could occur, those non-obvious places where it could occur. And it also means that that manager needs to become more of a, a social worker or a therapist in terms of helping employees navigate those tensions that exist uh, within the organization. So you can look a lot at automation impacting jobs, but when you start to look at how it impacts managers. What it means is that those the 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 way you think about managers and leaders in your organization has to really change and evolve at the same time.
0: Yeah. I don't know if this is just independent research or a happy coincidence, but the Wall Street Journal, as you probably know, is doing this series on the future of work. And one of the most recent articles was about the future of managers and how they were going to be coaches and connectors and more collaborative. Yeah. So it sounds like that's very in keeping with, with what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
1: for sure. Um, no, I, I was, was going to say it is um, one of the other implications that has all that is who we actually promote into being managers. Where it's not going to be the people that are the best at doing the job that they're managing. In fact, it could be some of the worst people that are doing at it. Uh, the people who are worse at doing those jobs, but people that are the best at connecting or uh, uh, identifying uh, those therapeutic moments that employees need. Managing that conflict that's there, just because it's a very different skill set. So as we think about that organization of the future, uh, a real sense of uh, a changing set of competencies and capabilities that we need within our managerial population, and it's, that's the place where we're actually see the most difference the fastest, um, because of the impact of technology and automated work.
0: I want to go back to something that you said a few minutes ago about the individual employee, because you are also of the opinion. That whereas in the past, and probably the best examples a couple of years ago with Amazon with HQ2, pitting the states against each other, you envision a future in which the states are competing for employees. So was it Nebraska or one of the Midwestern states is offering people fifteen thousand dollars to move there?
1: Yeah. So there, there's a variety of uh, states and cities that are doing the sorts of things. One of the um, really interesting things about how work is changing is that. More organizations are embracing remote work slash uh, hybrid work. We've got different estimates of what that looks like, other people have estimates, but everybody agrees that it's going to be a whole lot more in the future than it was in 2019. Just a question of how much. Um, and as soon as you break the relationship between location and job, it really changes the economics of how people can think about a problem. So um, uh, if I was a city or state, I wanted to... Uh, get a big company to move to my city or state because that's going to create jobs for my people, it's going to create tax revenue, like all sorts of good things. Uh, but if the people don't move with the company and they can be anywhere, that just really changes how you have to think about this. And so if you are the mayor of a city or the governor of a state, you have an opportunity to actually put those sorts of incentives out there and say, well, if you come and work here and work remote, we'll give you some sort of credit. You know, you can get like a nice accountant or actuarial finance people to figure out what makes the most sense from your tax base and that sort of stuff. But you can actually really change the dynamics of how you uh, uh, manage the people that happen to live and uh, but don't work in your state or city. And you can start competing for individuals at scale. Uh, and that just really changes how you can think about building your communities in a,
0: in a very different way that we
1: never would have thought of before.
0: Yeah, I'm old enough to remember the early breed of collaboration tools, even before Yammer and Jive. I'm talking about, gosh, I mean, some of the early SharePoint sites and even IRC. Gosh, I'm dating myself. And now they're so much more powerful and so extensible. Um, In other words, you can link them to these other applications. So I don't have to consistently toggle back and forth between a project management tool or email or uh, one of my favorites is, and I just got a few notifications today, I'm doing a guest post for a site. Set it up as a Google Doc. Someone comments. I don't get it as an email. I get it yeah. as a notification in Slack. So, do you, and based on your research, see companies embracing those integrations, or are still sort of dipping their toe in the pond because, to your point, they don't know what collaboration looks like, or they think that okay, fine, we'll throw out Teams, we'll buy an enterprise Slack license, now we're done.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny. We see uh, organizations pursuing a bunch of different strategies. There's some that really think about a, a best of. Uh, best-of-breed sort of approach where they want the best collaboration thing, the best records management thing, whatever, and they're willing to deal with the integration on the back end. Um, and there's other companies that say, too complex. I'm just going to buy whatever uh, uh, my you know HCRM maps into. So it's like, what does Workday say I should buy? What does Oracle say I should buy? Whatever it may be. So we really see kind of the, the camps emerging from that perspective. The thing that we do see, though, that's really problematic is um, uh, we we under each of those two scenarios, there's a whole set of tools that come along with them, and what we fail to do is retire tools and retire pieces of technology, and then we've got a workforce where some use Slack, some use Teams, some use email, some you know send smoke signals, some uh, use the, the the original collaboration tool called the telephone, and you know all those sorts of things, and what you find when you've got a workforce that all has different things that they like uh for an individual employee it's hard to keep up at some level and there's some employees that uh, just have different working styles and they won't look at teams until the end of the day there's other people that check email at the end of the day and if you've got someone else who uses teams in the moment you're like why is this person not getting back to me um which gets this thing which is one as you're trying to build a collaborative organization what are you retiring? what are you getting rid of? What are you streamlining? What are you doing from that experience to make it easy for employees to use whatever set of things you've got or how many things you've got? But then two, also helping teach your employees what uh, different tools are used for. You know, there's the whole adage, like if uh, uh, if all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. It's kind of the same idea, right? Like What you use Slack for is different than what you use email for. Um, what you use a text message for is different than what you use a phone call for. Uh, or any of those types of technology. But we fail to, to educate our employees about what is the job of the tool. We teach them a lot about like how do you use the tool? But what job is that tool doing for you? And when should you use that tool? Like when should you use a hammer? When should you use a wrench? Like what is that conversation needs to occur at companies and for employees to help them uh, use the tools effectively?
0: I'm hurting my neck, shaking shaking it, agreeing with my head, agreeing with you so much, because when we tolerate these different tools under the, I would argue, false assumption that all text communication is equal, doesn't matter where then to your point, there is confusion, right? Hey, I sent this message in Teams six hours ago. Where the hell is the response? I need something. You tolerate delays. And I'd also argue, and I think many times this is lost on people, that we bifurcate knowledge. So when I think about the future of work five, six, ten years from now, and AI and machine learning, and I'm no expert on it, it's all based on data. Now, if I've got some data in one hub and other data in another hub and other data in email and text and all these other ones – Makes it a lot harder. Whereas, if everything is in the central knowledge repository, the recommendations are mind-blowing.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, the technology and the ability to use that is is gotten farther ahead of how we actually work, and that creates a couple problems. One, of the problem that you're talking about in the sense of uh, we just miss an opportunity where if we had better information, we could do so much more with it. Um, But the other problem is that we've got this set of uh, expectations that are often unrealistic, right? And one of the things that happens as I've talked with companies about these sorts of issues and how to use technology to understand this, you've got a group of executives that see these ads on TV for big tech companies that um, can identify your customer before your customer even knows they're a customer or can solve problems before they even emerge sorts of stuff. And it creates this expectation that executives have of the talent management community, which is, well, if Amazon could do X and be perfect at identifying this thing for me, why can't we have that same capability within our organization? And that expectations reality gap creates disappointment in a lot of ways. And so we, that's why you know collaboration is more important going forward than it's ever been for sure. Uh, but in some ways, we're, we risk hitting that that trough of disappointment where so much promise, so much potential. We spent so much on technology and we're like, ah, I'll just call them, you know, um, uh, and, and that that's where we don't want to be because that's that's a failure
0: kind of across the board if that's, if that's how things end up. Fascinating stuff. I'll get you out here on this. What book are you currently reading?
1: Uh, there is a, a, a book that I'm reading right now that's looking at um, why companies uh, uh, get problem-solving wrong. And basically, the premise of the book is that… Uh, book? Wait, what's, um, uh, what's its name? Uh, Upstream is the name of the book. And the basic premise is um, we spend way too, much, too, way too much time and effort solving the problem that we're confronting rather than asking the more important question, which is, uh, what problem should we be solving? And I think way too often executives have a problem that runs in front of them. Somebody complains about it. There's an issue that's emerging. And we get all wrapped up with like, let's solve that thing in front of us, rather than saying, is that even the type of problem we, we want to solve? And I see that with all the executives that we work with happening way too often. Uh, one of the the biggest most important questions that you can ask an executive when they're like, I'm I'm struggling with blank, is to say, is that a worthy problem of solving? Mm. Um, is that the important problem to solve or is there something else? Um, because if we're just focused on the thing right in front of us, too often we're solving the 20% issue, not the 80% issue, because we haven't figured out what's really the 80% problem that's out there.
0: Yeah, I haven't read that particular book uh, by Dan Heath. i read a couple of the other ones from the Heath brothers, but it reminds me of a bit, and I think I'm getting the title right, but a book by Frank Partnoy called Wait, and the basic premise is that we are so action-oriented. The quote I'll never forget from the book is when we go to a doctor, we should really be screaming at them, don't just do something, stand there, um, because that that primary issue. But really good stuff, Brian. I want to thank you for your time, and you stay safe. You too. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, or subscribe. Merci, gracias, obrigado, to the producer of this podcast, podcastedition.com. You guys rock. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However... If you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.